This is Jonathan Cruz, creator of EpicWords.com, and you are listening to Roll for Initiative Podcast. D20 Radio, your gamers roll. Roll for Initiative. Welcome back to the Roll for Initiative podcast, a number 32, issue number 32, excuse me, for the Roll for Initiative podcast, RFIpodcast.com. There's our website. I am one of your hosts, DM Vincent, along with DM Jason. Jason, how's it going? Hey, it's going great. How are you doing? Wonderful. And we have DM Nick as usual. DM Nick, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Vince, Jason, how are you guys doing? We're super. Super. Yes, as we're bouncing off a wonderful episode of Psionics, my brain's still hurting from that episode. <laughs> what about you, Nick? Uh, no, I took a couple of Excedrin. I'm happy. Uh... <laughs> Actually, I liked one of the forum posts that went up from uh, last that said, your mastery of Psionics must have worked because after listening to it while jogging, I got a headache. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Speaking about the uh, website, do we have any uh, new articles up this week? Well, what's going on right now is Todd Hughes is working on his uh, module. So um, I believe Plus 2 to Save is uh, coming a little bit more slowly in between. Uh, We've still just got the more human than human. Uh, But there is a new article that's going to be up soon from PC Buzz, Mm. and it is called Tetrahedral, Isles of a Car. And uh, I won't say any more about it than that. I'll wait for it to be up. Cool. Cool. I can't wait to read that. Our forums are starting to pump a little bit. People yeah, it's really good to see all the activity going on there. That's right. A lot of people are posting up. Uh, Death Metal Might- Nightmare is up there. Chuck is up there posting away. People are asking questions, leaving comments. The more you do, the better it is. Get I want to say Death Metal Knight uh, said that plenty of repulsion and sepultura is okay, so we're going <laughs> to keep that pumping right here. Cool. <laughs> And yes, we do frequent the forums quite a bit, and we try to answer questions. At least I do, and I know I've seen Jason's name. I haven't seen Nick too much. But, yeah, I've been uh, a little busy. <clears throat> sorry, uh, sorry, I had a little cold there. Um, oh, you know what? I want to point out that uh, one of the forum posters, I think it was, uh, I think it was Chad. No, Chuck. Mm-hmm. Chuck is the first of the forum posters to have moved out of the Prestidigitator class and into the Evoker class. So Whoa. everybody else has Whoa. got some catching up to do because Chuck has leveled up. Chuck has leveled up. Wow! Did you make Chuck those, has leveled up? Did you make those titles yourself, or? Well, I mean, Gary Gygax did originally. I suppose I just took them out of the. Uh, oh, I see. Know, the, yeah, I'm just giving people uh, magic user titles as they level up. What if they want to be a, a, a cleric or, or a fighter? Too bad. Too bad. That's <gasps> that's. I can Man. only do so. Only D4 hit dice. I hate that. Yeah, but Nick, I like the titles for uh, magic users. They have the coolest titles. They do. But Nick, your your title is going to be cleric with a blunt weapon. So. (laughs) 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 Anyway, so (laughs) so (laughs) funny. Go to the forums rfipodcast.com, and there's a button at the top that says forums. Go right to that and post away. We want to hear your comments. And uh, as we spoke about in last episode, Jason and I did a little brief thing about we had some 
special uh, merchandise going on in the store. Some free, I think it was a freebie, right, Jason? Uh, well, sort of freebie with purchase. Um, yeah. What they're doing because we do all of our merchandise through Spreadshirt. Uh, who I chose because they're kind of like the Cafe Press, but it's a much higher quality. I like what they do better. Yeah. And they have introduced uh, laptop sleeves and net and netbook sleeves. So cool. from now till October 1st, which isn't very long, but a couple of days still, uh, they're doing a deal where if you buy $40 worth of anything, uh, you get a free laptop sleeve. So uh, you can do that. We've got a link to it on our um website and right now it, it i put the artwork up for the laptop sleeve it took a couple of days to get uh approved right. so you know there's just going to be a short window of time when you can get one of those free with a 40 dollar order but they're going to be up i mean and they're really not that much to begin with i think they're like 16 dollars or something uh maybe 20 i forget what but i mean really yeah. inexpensive to begin with is this and, all new original like, artwork or the uh same logo well, it's the new. It's the same logo. I had to convert it to uh, black and white and mess around with it a little bit for it to go on a laptop sleeve. So any any size laptop sleeve, or is it a certain size format? Uh, I think. Well, I know there's a netbook one that'll fit. You know, those little kind of yeah. ten inch netbooks, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure that the laptop sleeve is for fifteen inch laptops. Wow. There might be different ones, so I'd say go and take a look first, and you know, make sure it'll fit. Okay. No, no one size fits all laptop sleeve, huh? Well, no, it's supposed <laughs> to be like a tight fit on the laptop, so I think it has to be for certain sizes. Oh. Yeah. Oh well. All right. So go over there, take a look at what we got, and if you feel like supporting the show, go ahead and uh, pick something up. If not, then don't worry about it. We'll head over into uh, Sage Advice. Sage Advice. All right, so for Sage advice this week, we've got uh, some voicemails to listen to. So, mm-hmm. uh, Vince, why don't Ooh, you cue us up? All right, the first one we got is from oh, Lass. Here we go. Hi, this is Lass, and I have a question for the Grognards at the RFI podcast. I'm playing an illusionist, and one of my primary spells is, of course, Phantasma Force. Now, the saving throw is special, and later on in reading the description of the spell, it says that basically any believing creature will be affected, and those who choose to disbelieve will be given a saving throw. How do you determine whether a creature is disbelieving or not? Should people in adventuring parties just walk around saying, I disbelieve that door, I disbelieve that wall, (laughs) until proven otherwise? Any help would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. Bye-bye. Well, if they're in my party, they do exactly what they do, actually. Yeah, they do that all the time. It's like, I disbelieve that, I disbelieve that. Well, really? <laughs> so basically she's asking, is it fair for a character to run around saying, I disbelieve everything? I mean, no. It's... no. Well, kind of. I mean, I treat it a little bit uh, the way, and anybody who listens to the actual play podcast, which will be going up uh, probably tomorrow, I think. We've got a whole bunch of them queued up. Sorry. Um, we'll kind of see what's happening there. Because... Where my players are going through right now, there were a fair number of illusions, so they got a little bit paranoid about it. And they've been trying to disbelieve everything. So I 
first of all, I try to treat that sort of the same way as looking for secret doors or checking for traps. I just tell people, go ahead and roll if you want to do that. And if you succeed at your roll, let me know that you succeeded. Uh-huh. So um, just so that I don't have to go through the whole thing where they constantly say, I'm checking for traps, and then I tell them to roll, and then they tell me what they got. They know what's going to happen, so just roll. So disbelieving is the same sort of thing. If they want to disbelieve, they just I hear them roll a saving throw, and they go, I'm disbelieving this, and they roll the saving throw, and if they make it, then we see what happens. Interesting. Nick? Hmm. Well, <laughs> that's... I don't know how the best to, to explain this, but if your players' characters go around disbelieving everything, I mean, you know, if an orc comes up and stabs you with a sword, it's hard to disbelieve that. Well, yeah. you know, I mean, it's hard, that's a, but you could or try that's because a really, really good illusion. So. Well, but it's a legitimate one because you could a phantasmal force could actually. I, I don't know about a full-on orc. Uh, the, the whole action or anything, but getting stabbed with something could be a phantasmal illusion, phantasmal force illusion, and well, it would do damage to you if you failed to disbelieve it. That's that's true. I, I'm just this is where we're getting into an area. At least I think it's it's really hard to, I mean to de, to determine. I don't know. It's it's so difficult. I mean i I would think that the that the character would have a reason to disbelieve something when they see it. It would yeah. have to be something, I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, I think if you're going in for the first time to a dungeon or a cavern or a house or whatever, uh, to just start disbelieving everything all the time sounds a little silly. <laughs> but your players are going to get tired of doing that anyways. I mean, if they're... Right. It's, like I said, it's like checking for secret doors, checking for traps. If, as a player, you're so paranoid that you're checking everything all the time, yeah. you're just going to get tired of it. And no DM is going to, I mean, no, I don't think any good DM is going to sit there and actually fill you with so much traps and illusions and secret doors that you can't move two feet without worrying about it. I mean, they're going to be a little bit, if you're doing good uh dungeon design Mm -hmm. you're going to have a reason for things to be somewhere you're not going to just randomly throw up illusions so i mean i think that's kind of where it comes into it so uh where my players are going through right now there's some illusions that are placed in fairly logical places they're not obvious but now that they've been in this uh these catacombs for some time they're kind of getting used to how they were designed and they're thinking you know what given what we saw before for illusions I think this could be the kind of place where they would have done one. And mm. so I have no trouble with them saying, this smells fishy to me. I, I don't really think there's anything there. Oh, sure. If they're, if, like I said, there's, if they've given reason to, to believe yeah. that there is an illusion involved, they can have a chance to disbelieve it and have their save you know, versus spell. Or what, uh, yeah, save versus spell, right? Yeah, save versus spell. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is that uh, there's different... Um, bonuses you can give for that so yeah based uh, on intelligence right uh, i don't know well sure just a standard saving throw bonuses but um if for example um Mm -hmm. i think both of my groups have gotten through this room yeah so i can i can talk about it there's one of those uh kind of typical indiana jones leap of faith situations where there doesn't look like there's a bridge, but then you step out and there is a bridge oh right right um so once the first person had determined that it was okay and went and stepped onto this uh, 
illusory missing bridge, everybody else got a plus four bonus to save because it was obvious that something was happening. Mm, yeah. Mm. Mm, makes sense. Yeah. And I even give the uh, illusionist in my group, I do give him the occasional bonus just because he seems to really be role playing the illusionist really well. And uh, he's talking about why he thinks things are there. So, from my perspective, it's a legitimate reason to give him a couple of points on his uh, rolls. Well, you can always you can always do as well. I have to say this as the the resident evil DM alongside Nick, you can always <laughs> for those wisecrackers out there that keep disbelieving everything, you let them make the roll and say, "All right, you disbelieve there's an orc there, but actually have the orc stab him and be like, "What? I thought you said it was disbelief." Well, you disbelieved it. It didn't say it didn't disappear or not. Oh, I've done stuff like that before too. Oh yeah. <laughs> Let well, them have their yeah, way. Okay, that's kind of. But I try. I try not to get them with the word games. I mean, if I try to tell them what they're really seeing. Ah, the word games are so fun, though. <laughs> try to cool. disbelieve that pain with that longsword sticking out of your head. <laughs> yes, that's right. Well, as they were trying to disbelieve, because they were all of them were convinced that there was no wall where there was in fact a wall. So I was kind of subtly encouraging them to just take a running start at it. <laughs> Yikes! Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they didn't. But, I mean, the thing is, even – so this gets into the whole what happens when you disbelieve and does, it fails or succeeds. Um, different illusions work different ways, but Lass was asking about phantasmal force, which is special because those illusions have a physical element to them. They can actually hurt you. So even though – let's say that uh, you have a floor that is actually a pit filled with spikes, but there's an illusion of a safe floor above it. Um, no, that's a terrible example. Let me give you the opposite example. <laughs> okay. Because that, 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 no, that, that's a good one to bring up, but that's a little tricky. Let's give the opposite example. Let's say you have the illusion of a pit with spikes, but in fact it's a floor. Well, even though the first character might disbelieve, successfully save, and be able to walk safely across it, now he knows that it's just a floor, mm-hmm. the guy right behind him who just saw him walk safely across but fails his saving throw will still fall in and get stabbed on the spikes. Because he failed the saving throw no matter how much he wanted to believe that they weren't there and he saw somebody walk across, the illusion was stronger than his saving throw, he still got the damage. The power was stronger than he was. Yeah, the power of the mind to create the uh, the damage in, in, in the uh, yeah, character. Sucks being him. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's why Phantasmal Force is a, it's a really easily um, abused yeah. illusionist spell. And that's the other yeah. thing is, where do you put limits? Where do you guys put limits on Phantasmal Force? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I don't. Really, um, I don't put a limit on it. I just go with the, the situation. If it sounds too outrageous, obviously you're not going to do it. But like right. what, for example? I don't know. Not in the situation at the moment. Give me something that yeah, sounds outrageous. Enough. I mean, <laughs> I was just thinking if if uh, let's say that the the illusionist I, actually is there a limit to phantasmal force to the size of the illusion before I make some ridiculous uh, claim here? Now I just realized I don't have my. There it is. There's my player's handbook. Let's take it. Yeah, I don't have my player's handbook on me either. Because I was about to say, well, what if the illusionist wants to create the illusion of a mountain in front of someone? I mean, can they go to that level? I mean, that can't be the case. Let's let's actually look. Because, for goodness sake, it's a first-level illusionist spell. I mean, mean, yes, it's a third-level magic user spell, but still. Um, (laughs) There's a range, which is eight squares. 
and an area of effect. So, yeah, I mean, it can only be so big. So, yeah, you can't create a, um, uh, a mountain. But I also, you're not going to, as well, far as I'm concerned, create a 15-hit <laughs> dice monster illusion uh, in front of a character and have it actually be as powerful as all that. You can you know, make it got, look like be one. Limits. Make it look like one. Yeah, yeah, but to have it do—I mean, to have it do the actual kind of physical damage. Let's say you know to put up a, a, a black dragon um, and mm-hmm. have it you know, breathe fire on the on the player and have it do actual breath weapon damage. I think there's got—I don't know. I think there has to be limits. A first level illusionist should not be able to do things like that. Hmm. Maybe. Okay. Well, um, <laughs> I don't think the first level illusionist should be able to do things like that. Is there? Well, I I'm, I don't have the uh, the spell in front of me as far as the description, mm-hmm. but is there like a? Does it improve per as far as the levels that when the caster goes up? Let me pull it back up because I just maybe pulled... dur- maybe just duration. I don't know. Since I mean, um, just... yeah, I mean the range goes up per level. The area of effect goes up per level. Um, the duration. Let's see. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, creatures are not observing the spell effect or immune until they view it. Can create the illusion of any object as long as it's within the boundaries of the spell's area of effect. Okay. I mean, from from it sounds uh, like it can go pretty much. <laughs> yeah, you really can. But but you know, but here's here's the loophole that makes it really easy uh, to deal with is that all it does is create a visual. Effect. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, right. it doesn't create, create audible or anything right. else. So right. if you have a red dragon staring you in the face and you don't hear it, you don't smell it, and you just see it, then that's a pretty strong indicator that you're either deaf and you've lost your nose or it's an illusion. Yeah, but also right. don't forget everybody relies on their sight first for everything, so... If you see that dragon there, you're like, oh, crap, you're going to run, so. Yeah, exactly, and that's where the saving throw comes into effect, because maybe the character was quick on their feet, and even though the first thing was, I mean, I think of like when you, you know when you're driving late at night, and you've been awake for way too many hours, and you start seeing things? Uh, You guys ever have that? Okay, so you know what it's like to have a visual illusion kind of hit you, Mm -hmm. and uh, even though you know that it's not real, mm-hmm. it still has the power to scare you, which is why you should not drive when you're that tired. Because uh, yeah. you could really get scared and, you know, swerve the car or something without thinking. And the same sort of thing, Vince, what you're saying, yeah. if this dragon appears in front of you, you're not going to stop and think about whether it, you hear anything. You're going to just drop your sword and, you know, run. Hightail it out of there, yeah. Well, yeah, maybe yeah. If, you're, if you're like a experienced fighter, you might go, oh, Crap! It's a dragon. Wait, I don't hear anything or smell anything. What what's going on as you're running away? Yeah, and yeah. Like perfect, and, and hence the better saving throws as you level up. Yeah, right. Okay. So that so was, uh, a good question. let them disbelieve. And as far the other thing I think she was asking was what about the monsters disbelieving? And I would just play it basically as a DM, play it like you're playing a character. Yeah. And if you think that monster is intelligent enough and has had experience with illusions. Or has any reason to disbelieve it? Give them the saving throw, but don't yeah. just give it to them automatically. I agree. I agree. Word. All right, let's go to our second voicemail tonight. This uh, came in from uh, Jason. Came in from your line, right? The uh, callback voice. 
Yeah, this came in from the one that's, uh, you know, you click the Google Voice and it's there. And All right, yeah. cool. Let's oh, hear cool. this one. This is DM John in Kansas City. I was wondering, how is running a convention game different than a regular one? Can you give me some tips such as using pre-generated characters, choosing an adventure, character level, materials I may need to provide the players, and managing the limited amount of game time? Basically, what makes a great convention game as opposed to a poor one? I've never even played in a convention game. In my area, the convention that's coming up only has 4th edition D&D scheduled, but I think they'd be willing to have 1st edition game if someone was willing to run it. So, since I've never played, I would like some tips before I take the plunge. <laughs> Love your show, uh, and keep doing the good work. My email uh, address is... Cut that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I stopped it before. Um, <laughs> well, I've had some experience with this running convention stuff. Yeah, so have I. So Jason, I would Gen Con, the big daddy of them all, so. Yeah. Yeah, that was I fun, would, right? Yeah, Nick. I would say from, from my experience, from doing convention, um, uh, either tournaments or otherwise, um, the first thing you got to do is... I would say when he's talking um, levels, mm -hmm. I think the most fun would be right around fifth through seventh level. That seems like mm -hmm. the uh, the most enjoyable at a convention when you're talking f as far as D and D is concerned. Well, it's, for the one he's talking about, I would agree with you. Yeah, yeah. I would. I, I mean, if you want something where it's you know the the player characters are not too powerful. But um, won't die the first know, they're, hit. They're, yeah, they, but you know, there's still definitely some challenge involved. I would say fifth through seventh level is probably the best. Um, and I think Frank Menser said it the best when we interviewed him at Gen Con was try to keep it between two and four hours and have a resolution and don't leave the players hanging right. at the end. Right. That's I would, the biggest thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Is you're probably going to have to if you're using a pre-made module almost none of them are going to be set up to end that quickly. So you're going to want to spend some time with it, adjusting it so that you can have that resolution. Get them a, right. I'd maybe design a small dungeon crawl that you can get done in maybe two, three hours. I right. think it's okay. Right. Also, I mean, maybe an easy way I'm going to try this next time is to take the module that you're running, whether it's mm -hmm. the one that you may be made for a different purpose or one that's already been created and Start them about halfway into it. You know, actually just tell them, you've been in here, this has already happened, you've already achieved this, you've already gotten this, now you're going towards the final goal. So, because the fun is in the final resolution even more than the build-up. I mean, if you've right. got to just quickly adjust something. Well, that, that may yeah, work. Some of the, the classic, yeah, some of the classic adventures that were written for, um, like, for conventions or, you know, for tournaments like um, Ghost Up Tower of Inverness, back. you know, uh, yeah, Ghost <laughs> Tower of Inverness, uh, which is one that leaps to mind because it's written for levels, I think, four to seven or five through seven. Mm -hmm. And you start right there at the front of the Ghost Tower, right there. Yeah. There's, you don't need to do the whole wilderness section because you're talking about time constraints. 
you're only given about a three to four hour slot in a convention most of the time. Um, unless, of course, you're running this where it's not scheduled, that this is something that, you know, yeah. you're just running on the side there at the con. But usually you don't go more than four hours. So, And, you, and at, at a con, yeah. I don't think you should. I mean, uh, to Vince's point, when Frank was talking about uh, running convention games, he was even saying three hours. Yeah, mm-hmm. three. You know, because you're at a convention, people want to do a lot of stuff. And if you've yep. got a six-hour game at yeah. a two-day convention, you know, that they, your players better be there just for your game in that case. And I think right, most right. of the time people want to do a lot of stuff. Yeah. True. Uh, yeah, and also you don't want to make the uh, adventure. If, if, if he's doing this, making it on his own, you don't want to make it too overly complicated. You want to have, a, like you said, a set goal. There is, I mean, and if you're talking about, I don't think he's talking about for like a tournament, but just for a game to run, there is yeah. going to be some railroading involved. You can't really yeah. do a sandbox adventure in three or four hours. No. It's just not, it's just not possible. Yeah. That's you another good argument for dropping him in the middle of something. Right, yeah. exactly. But you get these people that um, ask too many questions, though, sometimes when you do right. that. so And also... Like, what do you mean? What do you mean too many questions? Well, if you drop someone in the middle of something, they're going to be like, well, when you find something along the way, well, what about, did we find something similar to this in the past? What about the rooms that we went through? What happened there? I mean, you get some of those people that ask questions like that. True. True. I mean, it's a, the good point you have there is that you don't know who your players are going to be usually. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the other thing, because... If you already know your players, you know whether people are more interested in getting straight into the action. Do they want more role play? Do they want intrigue? Do they want that? So maybe some general tips, I think, uh, that we should bring up about these things are yeah. we, what, what, what are some general preparation things you can do? Wow. Uh, Generate I mean, characters. One of them, <laughs> Pre-generate yeah. characters and make sure they have maybe a slight description about them, maybe a little bit of a personality for the character. So people I think that's idea. a great start. Yeah. Yes, that is. And uh, you want to also have a well-balanced set of pre-gens. Yeah. I, what I usually do is I will make eight pre-gens. Right. Four of them of the four core character classes. Uh-huh. You know, fighter, magic user, cleric, and yep. thief. Yep. Then the other four... I'll probably do a couple of multi-class characters and maybe two that are of the subclasses. I think that's a good um, mix of characters. If you're going to have the play eight players, most of them you only have six, but you want to have up to eight uh, player characters made. So I think that's that's a good basis right there. It's where I've it's worked for me in the past when I've done. Uh, games at conventions, especially tournaments. So, at least that's one thing I'll throw in. So yeah, let's see. Uh, pre-gen characters to start with. Uh, go ahead and roll up probably a couple more than you think you're going to need for the players, because somebody you don't want anybody at the table feeling uh, upset about the character they got. That's the last thing in the world you want is somebody who's grumbling right. about playing the thief or something. Right. So, that's why I said like eight characters to choose from. That's more. Yeah. That's generally more than enough. I don't think you're going to get more than six at a table. Yeah. Anyway. And if you have, uh, if you have player handouts, make sure you make copies of them. Maps. Yes. That you want yep. the players yeah. to see. Make sure they're already pre-printed out. So all you have to do is lay them down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't want anything so, to stall the game while you're playing it. 
Right, right. Uh, so just stick with the, with the pregens for just a moment, because um, I think this is a good little topic here. Uh, ha- have them pre-made, have all that kind of stuff. When you sit down at the table, uh, ask everybody, first of all, does anyone have a particular class that they really got their heart set on? Because right off the bat, if somebody always wants to play the cleric, then that problem solved. And okay. then once you've gotten that out of the way, best thing to do is to say, we're just going to randomly roll. I'm going to start with somebody. And I'm just going to go clockwise around the table, and you can either hand it to them randomly or say clockwise around the table, pick one, and pass it down. So just keep it quick and easy. Mm-hmm. Have those player characters with a little bit of background, like you just said, and um, have you know just basically have everybody with all their motivations set and ready to go. And then, yeah. like you were saying, have all this other stuff prepared. Have your handouts. You know, I, I've also seen for the character thing when I went to a, a local convention was there were six seats, and in front of the seats, the DM already laid out the characters uh, sheet backwards down. Mm-hmm. So when you sat down, that was the character you were playing. I've been in a that. <laughs> That's, funny. That's a good way to do that. it. I was going to say you turn them what? up and let them just pick their seat based on what they see. You know what? I've yeah. I my very first convention i ever went to back in 1990 uh, <laughs> what was that nick nine, it was 1983 i think wow uh-huh. yeah and it when was, you were four years old right <laughs> add a few more years um and it was i think an rpga event wow which convention was this this was I don't think it was Omicron. I think it was Contratemps. Okay. Uh, but it might have been Omicron in, in Omaha. That would have been Omicron 3 then. I think so. And I remembered it was the first AD&D game I went into. And the character sheets, you went in and you sat at the table and all the, the sheets were face down. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. So wherever you sat... And I think we rolled off. There might have been a number written on the back of the sheet, and you rolled off, and that was the, that was the seat you sh- sat in. And I had a paladin. <laughs> I turned it over like, oh, my God, i got to role-play a paladin. It's going to be so tough. But it was fun. It was fun. That's a way of doing it. It could be very, very interesting. Really, and, yeah, it, it will get people out of their comfort zone yeah. because – you know, you know, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. This is what's going on right there. So, and of course, if well, you so, have those players that are just like, "Oh man, I got to play this class," you can always say, "Listen, you want to just change with this person." Yeah, people yeah, understand. It's a, it's a convention. It's just a one shot thing. Who cares? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. nobody should nobody should be upset with who they got. Yeah, they right. want to walk away having right. a good time. Um, and you know, a couple of other things you can do to help people with this is you could even have a little bit of. Uh, uh, things for some of them to say at particular times so they can get into it. This is kind of thinking this off the top of my head, but maybe you have a little bit of dialogue, not too much, don't overdo it, but give each one maybe a snippet of dialogue that fits their character. And so at the beginning, they, they kind of get it, what this guy is supposed to be like. Well, that so, might be in their background, though, if you do like a quick paragraph about them. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I was just thinking you might want to give them a little quote, and then at some point you'd be like, ah, then here's your time for your quote. They read it off early in the game, and it gets them maybe feeling a little more comfortable speaking in the character's voice, and it gets them knowing a little bit of something about the character so they can keep on doing that on their own, kind of like giving them right. training wheels for a second and then taking them off. Cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
But uh, this is for, I mean, who knows? You don't know what your players are going to be like. So yeah, uh, yeah. the other thing is, are these players, uh, are they very experienced with first edition or are they uh, new to this edition of the game? Mm-hmm. So you might want to, in addition to the handouts, make some quick little cheat sheets for them. Right. And also maybe bring an extra set of rule books if you have them available. Yeah. So well, that's the best. If you can do that. Um, and if, and even whether you can or you cannot, a little cheat sheet that just kind of goes into some of the basic mechanics so they don't have to ask you questions about the rules as they go along. Right. Right. Cool. So, um, and as far as the levels go, I agree with you on five to seven. If you know that there's going to be people who are, uh, really used to playing AD and D, I think you can take a chance and bring in some higher level things because it can be really exciting to do some 12th Mm -hmm. or 13th level things but i wouldn't do that for uh unless you're really sure who it is that's going to be playing okay right right so but um you know i don't did i did i tell you did i mention on the last show or one before about the omicron flyer that i found yes yes Yes. you you sent it to me that was awesome yeah (laughs) i didn't know if i mentioned it on the show though i think you mentioned it on the show with uh dead game society Oh, that's right. Well, anyways, I'm still excited about it. I should put this up on the uh, website because I've got it. When you mentioned you know, your first con, well, I've got the flyer from my first con right here. And it's, uh, wow. it's, it's still cool. exciting to see that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, any, I guess this would make a good forum post. So I'd really recommend uh, that this kind of goes up in the forum, that people start talking about how to run uh, games at cons. I think it'd be a lot, really helpful for anybody who hasn't done it yet. So if you're listening in, Chuck... Oh, I'm sorry. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somebody's got to catch up with Chuck. He's winning. He's, yeah. he's the highest level poster on the boards. That's right. I'll see if I could start posting stuff on that because I've got a lot of experience doing this past few years. Cool. cool. Now, you don't, you're not eligible for levels. None of the three of us are because we've got our own you know, special titles as the hosts. Uh, but everybody yeah. else is eligible Grand for Uba? levels. No, <laughs> that not would be good. Grand I should Uba. change it. Well, we can go in there and put special titles and special groups. I was taking a look at that, but I didn't touch yeah, it. Yeah, we should do that. I like Evil Overlord. How about that? No, we're not doing Evil Overlords. <laughs> You're just going to be... I was just yeah. reading at breakfast this morning. I was reading a uh, a whole bunch of back and forth in Dragon where uh, I guess Roger Moore wrote an article about why you should not play an evil character and why it just wasn't right for the game. And there was a lot of debate in the pages of Dragon after that about you know whether he was right or wrong. Wow. So, cool. Yeah. All right. We got one last thing that came in through e- email. Oh, cool. From uh, from Glenn Hellstrom. He uh, gave us. He actually designed a well, design. He made up a promo for our show. I thought it was pretty cool. So I figured I'd play it for you guys today. Let's see what it has to do. Okay, here we go. In a world of infinite tabletop role-playing games, there are many new types and additions. Some are good, some are bad, and some are dead. But now one podcast dares to keep it old school. Join DM Vince, DM Jason, and DM Nick as they take you back to a time when rolling to save meant life or death. Monsters made you earn your experience. And the gazebo could be dead. The Roll for Initiative podcast. That's how I roll. On iTunes or at www.rfipodcast.com. What do you think, guys? Wow. That was awesome. <laughs> I know, wasn't That's it? awesome. 
Greatest I promo. love it. Yeah, I know. Oh, my gosh. Who is this guy? <laughs> Actually, he's the uh, person that's doing our, our audio segment that we have in the show tonight later on. We'll talk about. So I love you, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, I, I was kind of bored and I needed something to do. So I designed it for you guys. I was like, wow, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got to keep him bored. Yeah, let's keep him bored. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if anybody is planning on telling, you know, giving me any exciting, interesting things to do. No, 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 no. Oh, that's, we keep them bored. Make make cool stuff. We love it. That, Thank you. That was wicked cool. I loved it. Loved it. Loved it. All right. Did you like it? <sighs> no, it stunk. <laughs> no, that was just too cool. Got goosebumps, man. <laughs> okay, cool. So um, we thank Glenn for that, and uh, maybe he'll send us some more stuff in the future. Yeah, so uh, thanks, Glenn, very much, and thanks for everybody you know calling in. We really like getting the voicemails, uh, emails, everything is great, uh, but please call in because it's great to hear the listeners' voices and for everybody to get to hear each other. So uh, that'll end Sage Advice for this week, and let's head to the next segment. Typical of all the evil creatures in the world, I'd like to find one with table man. What are you kidding me? I spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet. Table manners. All right. Here we go, folks. Table manners. And this week for table manners, we're going to talk about uh, Thack Zero versus Thacko. <gasps> yeah. The infamous yeah. debate. Yes. the in- one, of the, one of the infamous debates of, you know... All right, you guys are going to have to bring me up to the debate here because I don't know what the infamous debate is. Is it the pronunciation? Uh, the, the infamous debate between Thack Zero and Thack O is that everyone always debates that Thack O was part of First Edition. And people in First Edition say Thack Zero, apparently, because it's something different than Thack O, was the whole big okay. debate. Thack O was a Second Edition uh, two hit system. And Thack Zero was the chart system that they used in first right. edition. What the differences were? Is well, what? I mean, you've got the chart in the back of the DM's guide that says to hit armor class zero, but that's just a shorthand because you couldn't fit an entire uh, lot of other stats in what's basically just an alphabetical monster listing. Right, right. right. And that the whole the whole debate about this is that you know. Thacko didn't come in second edition. Everyone second edition say the people in first edition are just crazy. And then the whole time first edition chart systems were a Thacko system, but it's not. Well, so well, okay, first of all, does Unearthed Arcana have anything about Thacko in it? No, it does okay, not. Okay, so, so you guys have to help me out here because I've never played second edition. I don't know anything about it. Um, does the Thacko, which I'm assuming is to hit armor class zero. Right. Does mm-hmm. it line up? If I just took that and I lined it up with the charts from first edition, would it be the same result? No. No, it would okay. not. Not even close. <laughs> it well, is very much skewed in second edition to where, and I, and I looked at this already, the difference is it is easier for player characters, or I should say the character classes to hit, armor classes versus when you go to the monster Thacko, it's harder for monsters to hit. So thus began the great gradual slide into munchkinism. 
Yes. Okay. Yes. So now I see. Okay. So that's why people are upset about Thacko. I thought it was just because the concept of Thacko felt kind of 2E, and that's why I've always just avoided right. using the the phrase or the concept because I don't really care. I just don't think it feels 1E, so I don't use it. Now there is, and there is a difference. But it's actually different. Okay. Yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, even if difference. you look at where it says to hit armor class zero in the back of the DMG, where it has the listing of all the monsters from the monster manual, mm-hmm. it, it's still the same. It's still based off the same chart in well, yeah, the rest of the be. DMG. It better and, be. And, and but in second edition, again, it's different. It there. There's a there's a slight variance. It's off when when you get up into even in the lower hit die creatures, they it's harder for them to hit. Well, uh, yeah, harder it's to harder hit for, for them the to negative hit. armor class. Like the first edition has the repeating twenty. All right, right. So what is what is the deal? What are you talking about? As far as what you're talking about, that little that little. Uh, moment in the curve where there's uh, a few x a few repeating 20s for any of the hits right that, where that, it, it that, holds on that for a little while yeah that is one of the major differences between the charts between first edition and second edition yeah okay how does it work in second edition you don't have that little fire break there there's no there's not really any repeating 20s like that yeah the, okay. the only place where you're going to see it, it prevalent is um just at the first few levels of of a class, maybe, may you know, um, I'm just looking at it, first through third for a wizard, first and second for a rogue, and first through third for a priest. Mm-hmm. But even then, it's it's. What are these off. wizards, rogues, and priests you speak of? I know, I know. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. I I'm get using it. other terms, yeah. but um, I and I think. Uh, See in the in first edition though, you get away from that from just having a straight repeating zero where it actually goes up uh, on on the uh, on the matrix mm-hmm. from a number higher than zero because there you're going to need that actual number to hit. <laughs> so you know? help me out here with some of these mechanisms. Now, now I get what you're saying about if 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 they made it easier for. PCs to hit and harder for monsters to hit because if I'm looking at the actual combat tables right now on my DM screen, right? If it, it's way easier for a monster of a certain hit die to hit a certain armor class than it is for any PC, you know. So if I look at, yes. at armor class, if I look at armor class zero, and a first a one hit dice monster can hit that with a nineteen, there mm-hmm. is no way that any. Uh, player character is going to be doing that and if you keep following it up to the point where you need a 10 to hit armor class zero that's a 10th level monster and to get to that point uh for a pc 16th level for a cleric uh 11th level so it's getting close for a fighter but it's 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 not i mean the monsters are always going to be easy have an easier time hitting you so i get what you're saying there but Mm -hmm. from a mechanic perspective so when i'm playing if somebody attacks, I say I just look at what's what's your level. Look on the chart at the armor class, and I say, okay, you're going to need a 15 to hit. Now, how does using something like a Thaco mechanism make okay. that easier? When, if, I'm, if I'm using the original charts, when 
from what the rumors were for first edition originally were, and I believe this was said by Gary Gygax, was that players were not supposed to know what they were rolling to hit, and players were not supposed to be rolling their own rolls originally with first sure, edition, right. which is Oh, a big rumor that I I think it was a rumor that was floating around, and then someone confirmed it, but I wasn't sure about it. But right, players were not supposed to know, and then with second edition, players were known with the Thaco system to know what they had to hit, and it was easy to plot out what number you had to hit by doing the okay. Thaco system backwards. Okay, well, I mean, it's I mean, if somebody tells you, uh, look, if you know that you're a fifth level fighter, and somebody says you're going to need a ten to hit. If you're used to this whole thing, you can think, okay, armor class six. But um, that's just the difference between whether you let your players roll their to hits or not. And I think that's sort of an individual DM's prerogative. Right. I don't think I've ever been in a game where the players were not allowed to roll their to hit rolls. It's just no fun. I mean, come on. Half the fun is rolling the dice. Right, right. But I think what Vince was driving at here is it. I think you almost get into a metagaming aspect where yeah. if you know what exactly you need to roll for for your character to hit that monster with whatever weapon it may be, mm-hmm. after a while, it, it gets to a point where that knowledge is is being might might possibly get abused. Yeah, like get my, Yeah, but how? I mean, you, how do right. you abuse that? If say like you have to hit a monster and you need like a 10 or better, you'd be like, "Well, since I know his armor class is this, I'll have to use this certain sword that gives me a bonus of plus this." And you'll start using weapons like that. Fair enough. I mean, if that's what makes a player have a good time, but at the same time, if I've got a character who's constantly switching up his weapons, I'm going to give him a lot of uh, penalties for that. He's going to take him time to switch the weapons. Uh, it's going to open him up to attacks. I mean, I don't want to see anybody switching from their their uh, uh, pole arm to a sword in the middle of a melee. Well, this is where you get to points where, uh, but I'm talking like later on there where characters will say, oh, we ran into that before. It has an AC of four. I know exactly what I need to hit it. Yeah. yeah, well, don't, well, don't keep throwing up predictable monsters against well, your Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. It's yeah. where you got to, as a, as a DM, you got to mix it up a little. Don't, don't let your players assume anything. You got to keep them on their toes. I think some of that did happen. And um, I, you know, I, <laughs> I know I let it happen in my game at one point, and, well, I, I corrected yeah. myself and... If you go to the Dragon's Foot forum and ask in the first edition forum what is Thack-O, you will get a null response from anybody in that forum as far as Thack-O being in first edition. Well, uh, Yeah, I mean, I've seen the arguments, and I definitely <laughs> – you, you see the argument about, well, it's in the DM guide and everything. But uh, the, the point of Thack-O telling you what kind of an armor class you're going up against I think is – uh, it, that argument doesn't wash for me because you can do the same thing with the combat tables. So, um, and I get people don't like to talk about Thacko. I don't like the phrase or the usage because it's foreign to me, to the game I play. But I'm open to hearing, you know, if there's a way to say, here's a shorthand. I know my, th- but that's that's what I'm still not getting. So I want to hear like a positive argument what, for it, this. Is there any way that using that shorthand can make the combat easier? It's the whole concept between the two of them was 
that the players were not supposed to know what they're supposed to have to hit, and in second edition they made it readily available to players. That's okay. the yeah. difference between the two of them. First edition, right. the DM's supposed to control everything. Even if the players roll it, they're not supposed to know, like, well, I'm supposed to have a 15. It's supposed to be yeah. hidden secret on the DM screen, as opposed right. to second edition, where they just laid it all out for the player. Right. Okay. Or even if they did roll it, you would just tell them, roll the hit. And then mm-hmm. I'll tell you if you hit. You don't tell them a number. You just tell them to roll the die and add up all your bonuses. And I'll tell you if you hit. Okay, so. but if the melee goes on for nine rounds and I'm always missing on a 15, mm-hmm. but I'm hitting on a 17, I mean, I'm getting pretty close to knowing what's going on here. Well, yeah. But possibly. Yeah. Possibly. Sure. So, and, and besides the way that I DM, I like my players to roll as much as possible because I just recognize that that's part of the fun for me as a player. Sure. So right. they're rolling everything. They're rolling their t- hits. They're rolling their traps. They're rolling their saving throws. They're rolling their secret doors. They're rolling their initiative, everything. Mm-hmm. And, sure. you know, I suppose I'm giving something away when everybody rolls and somebody gets a one for secret doors and they still don't find anything. But I find that to be a benefit because you got to keep the game moving. Mm-hmm. So I don't want people getting paranoid. I mean, I know I'm going back to the traps and everything again, but the same sort of thing. I don't want people walking along paranoid because they're checking for traps every single couple of steps and, you know, they just don't know what happened. So, same sort of thing. If they're rolling to hit and, you know, somebody's like, awesome, I rolled an 18 and I tell them that didn't hit. I don't know. It just... It's, it's more... I suppose there might be something... Uh, mysterious and game accurate about it, but I just find that my players seem to enjoy rolling their own to hits, and, and as fine. they should. should and be. I don't think we're arguing against it. I yeah. think and it's... I like them to see when I roll to hit against them because I think it kind of it's kind of lousy when you know you're just kind of getting hit, but you hear the dice rolling behind the screen and you don't know what it, that what well, you're the, not the DM to, was rolling. You're not supposed to know what the DM rolls. I know, but I let them see anyways. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just think, you know, it's it's a certain part of it which uh, keep, keeps the game a little bit more exciting. Right. I think what one of the things that this kind of goes into is when we talk about this, this FACO thing, it kind <laughs> of blurred the difference between player knowledge and character knowledge, I think. Yeah. I th- I, I'm not yeah. sure if I'm reading that right, but I think it kind of blurs that well before that. I, and I think most of us played it, like I said, it's just, okay, as, you know, being the DM, okay, roll the hit, re- add up all your bonuses, let me know what what you rolled, and then I'll look it up, I'll tell you if you hit or not. I yeah. think that's how most of us do it. I don't mm-hmm. think we tell them what number they need to hit the certain creature, because then I think after a while, I don't know, it just takes away some of the the mystery, yeah. some of the excitement, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, you don't so, want your players to know what the number is. You don't want them to know what the armor class is. I mean, obviously, right. if they look in the book ahead of time, there's nothing you can do about that, but... Well, I don't mind them knowing that, because if they're going up and, and I say, you're going to need a 10 to hit, or you're going to need a 20 to hit, um, it right away puts a little bit of a sense into them of, I'm going up against something pretty dastardly, I'm going up against something pretty uh, beatable. And mm-hmm. since... 
you know, I can describe the monster to him and say all those other kind of things. But in the heat of the battle, okay, let's take this into a little bit of what are we really simulating here. Okay. You've got a, you've got a melee round of action, all this stuff's going on. And if you're fighting a monster, you, or, you know, let's put you in this imaginary world where it's really happening. Um, right. When when this is really going on, you can feel that, hey, I'm really taking this guy pretty easily or, wow, I mean, I'm getting him, but this is the toughest fight of my life. And so letting him see what the roles are is a little bit of that feel of this is the toughest fight of my life or, yeah, I'm getting him. Yeah, if you maybe got to the big baddie at the end of the dungeon or something like that, yeah, you might put that out there as kind of a... You know, letting them know this is this is the this is the deal. This is it. <laughs> you know, well, fl- flip so. it on their heads. Take a kobold, okay? You know, so they yeah. know kobolds are weak. So they go up against them. They roll the hit, and, and they, uh, they either miss. hit them or they don't. <laughs> so there you go. So they roll the hit against a kobold, and you don't tell them what they needed ahead of time. They roll a nineteen, and you say you missed. Wow. Whoa. Okay. Something's yeah. going on. And that's so, where it gets fun. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's almost the same thing as if I, you know, they roll the hit and I say, before they roll, I say, you're going to need a 19. They might go, whoa. And so, yeah, I, I get your point there. And maybe I should think about how I do that a little bit. But I don't think that there's a huge problem with, you know, with them roll as long as they are the ones themselves that are rolling it. Right. And I don't think uh, yeah, Vince and I are going to get not rolling the actual roll. I was just saying what the rumor was supposedly right. for the reason. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, now, it, as far as first time it was printed, yeah, it was in the DMG as far as the yeah. Thack Zero. Well, it yeah. didn't call it Thack. It said two hit armor class hit zero. Armor class it spelled zero. it out. It spelled uh, it out. So I don't think it was in the like, Now, there was a kind of a, I think it was in a book called the Book of Layers. Yeah. That okay, I've actually layers around here somewhere. Let me go grab that. And that is a first edition book, right? And they use the term Thacko. Okay, and I've they, got the book of layers right here. I'm Let's pretty see. sure I, I I have it too, and I thought yep, I saw Thacko's it in, in it. I'm looking but that's right now, a, and that's a first edition book too. That was published in what eighty six, eighty eight, something around there. Um, well, let's see. I, I, I could look for the thing here. But first of all, uh, it says Thacko, and it literally says Thacko with an O, not a zero. Right, Cause right. Because you can tell the difference between a zero and an O because it's right next to that. Uh, pop- published in 1986. It's from mm-hmm. the U.K., so maybe that's, you know. Uh-oh, that's why. No, I'm kidding. I don't know. Is there something about that? But, yeah, I'm looking at a bunch of brigands here, and they're listed as being armor class 5, move 12, hit dice 2, hit point 11, damage 1d6, Thacko 20. Right. So, um, so, so, is there a mechanism that makes it? Just, this is what I, I I know that I've had people argue that it's easier. So, if I know it's Thacko twenty, what am I doing? Am I just subtracting some? I go Thacko twenty. He's going against armor class four. Is it a straight subtraction? Yeah, it can't. It can't be because in the in the tables in, in the first edition, you've got those repeating twenties. It's right. Diff- it's it, it wouldn't jive. Yeah, it's different with the Thacko. Well, so yeah. actually, how does that even work at all? Because if you've got repeating 20s and it says Thacko 20, well, which 20? Right. <laughs> isn't that, isn't, wouldn't that, now, now you're really getting me thinking here. So wouldn't that be the case? So now I'm frustrated. <laughs> now, I, now I gotta, now I gotta know. Now it was I gotta SR. Yeah. Vince got anything on that? No, I, I wasn't a heavy uh, second edition player. I only played it approximately four times and, that was about it. All right, I'm going to find somebody with a Thacko a 20 in here. Okay, here we go. A Nixie. 
Nixie has got a Thacko of 20, and it's got half a hit dice. So that means it's up to 1 minus 1. So that means that technically, according to the charts, yes, that's a, a 0 uh, to hit armor class 0 is a 20, but that's also what he needs to hit armor class 1. And what he needs to hit armor class minus one and minus four for that matter. So how does that tell you anything? It doesn't. It doesn't. No. It doesn't. I think it them putting it in there at that time, it just didn't jive with the matrices in the DMG. Yeah, okay, giant rats, same deal. Uh, to hit armor class zero, 20. But, you know, that's not the only thing that they need that for. I, I think they at that point they were saying those low-level creatures didn't need to go into the negative, so you didn't really need to know what negative four armor class to hit was also. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless you had a really powerful first-level character when, <laughs> with an armor class of, what, negative four? I yeah. guess what I'm starting to wonder now, what's the point of even having... If you look in the back of the Dungeon Master's Guide of even having this line to hit armor class zero, because it says the hit dice, I've got my uh, tables here, and so if the hit dice Thacko, so to speak, is if the Thacko is the same for a creature of one minus one hit dice as it is for a creature of a half hit dice, which uh-huh. it is, but the tables are not the same. No. Well, I'm not going to look at the Thacko. I'm going to look at the actual hit dice. I'm going to look at my table, and I'm going to tell you what it takes. Yeah. Right. Because, yeah, because you're talking about those repeating 20s again. That's where yeah, so you're, the only yeah. way Thacko makes go any to the, sense. You yeah, go you're going to gonna go to the chart anyway. That's <laughs> the, only way, the only way Thacko is useful at all is if you have a chart that's a straight progression. So the thing is, it doesn't really matter if you're looking at the, the, the line that says Thacko in the back of the DMG. You've got the exact same Thacko as you do for... You got the exact same for a one minus one hit dice as you do for a half hit dice, so right. it's it's useless. You'd have to just yeah. go to the charts. Thacko, right, so they're going to have to chart anyway. Yeah, the only work. thing this makes sense for is if you have a straight progression with pluses and minuses, which it sounds like you're saying that's what second edition. Did. Yes. And that's fine. I'm not going to argue the merits of the second edition system. I'm just going to say that that pretty much conclusively proves that there is no such thing as Thacko in first edition. Right, it didn't make sense in first edition. It made more sense in second edition than first. Yeah, they actually, yeah, they actually worked it to where they wanted a Thacko system that, in itself, was playable. While they tried to, it sounded like they tried to uh, try to put this kind of shortcut system in, mm-hmm. and it, I, I never used it in first edition before. No, I never have either. And, and uh, you can't. Like, I never, I never saw the point of it, and you, you really can't. Jason just so, proved it right there. You can't really do it. Yeah. No. So even though I can look at the Book of Layers and I can see a Thacko clearly written in the description, and I can see it in the back of the Dungeon Master's Guide, I also see the hit dice, and I know that I have to go to the tables, and I know that that Thacko doesn't have an actual meaning. Uh, I mean, there's some places you could kind of use it, but it's not necessary. And it right. can't actually work according to the system of the charts. No. So therefore, there is no such thing in first edition as Thacko, despite what right. you might see written in the back of something. QED. Yeah, right. it's just like it's two systems. There were you know, it was another system that was kind of <laughs> stuck on the side, but it doesn't work with the matrices as 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 written. You can't it's, even figure it out for player characters too. Think about. 
them too. Uh, what a fighter! Right. A fighter starts with the D twenty for uh, Thack Zero, mm-hmm. and then moving down on the progression chart, it's still going to have a repeating twenty. So how right. do you figure that with that? You can't. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Unless you, you get a zero level human. Yeah, unless you completely memorize every single chart and go, haha, there's five repeating twenties right. here. And, yeah. and who's going to do that? You might as well just look at the chart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you might as well uh, just hand the chart over to the players and say, here. <laughs> which I which guess we, you know some would. Um, so so there's a lot of stuff we talk about where we say, well, you know, psionics it's optional. Maybe you use it. Maybe you don't. Hey, this rule. Maybe you use it. Maybe you don't. Maybe this thing you use the unearthed arcana version of weaponless combat or use the other one. There's a little bit of question. But when it comes to is there a Thaco in first edition, we can definitively say no. There's no debate here. There is no th- such thing as Thaco. There's in first no edition. such thing. It's an illusion. I disbelieve. <laughs> you failed your save. Oh, dang it! Well, um, I guess that kind of wraps it up on this section. And uh, there's anybody else out there listening to RFI podcast? You know, let us know what you think about it, and uh, we'll move on to uh, Jason's uh, going to take on Creature Feature Theater and talk about what the Mind Flayer is. So, on to Creature Feature Theater! Yay! Welcome to the Creature Feature Theater, where this week we're going to be talking about the uh, the Mind Flayer, who we are the uh, Illithid, if you will, yes. that we encountered last week in our Psionics segment. So mm-hmm. um, we've been getting a lot of good feedback about the Psionics segment, and I'm really glad that we did that. Turns yeah, out that uh, yeah, a lot of people really kind of came out and, and as as psionics fans and it's it's good to see that and before we talk about the actual creature in question i just wanted to give a little bit of a uh, uh nod to a couple of me. really cool people out there um in terms of psionics oh, so me. courtney campbell and nathan lord okay so um Courtney Campbell and Nathan Lord are working on something that's going to be coming out pretty soon, and mm. it is a psionics supplement for first edition uh, AD&D. Oh, cool. Really? It's really nice. I'm, I hold a, uh, a pre-release copy of it here in my hands, and uh, I'm not going to say too much about it because it's still in progress. It's pretty um, and shiny. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. I, I will say that I think they might be using the psionics worksheet that that we used in our uh in our encounter last time oh nice they might mm-hmm. they might be putting that in here we've been talking oh, a good yeah there it's 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 kind of neat because actually what it says here is it says a new old school supplement uh, for <laughs> a compiled volume of information used first and foremost by old school game masters, including the psionicist class, the generation of psionic characters, psionic discipline, psionic combat, psionic items, and more. That's the title. Wow. That's the title. Yes. Wow. Um, That's and a I, love it. Title. I love it. <laughs> um, I think a lot of this, I, I believe these guys might play Hackmaster as their main game. Actually, oh, cool. Because uh, if I recall right, they were talking about some things that were Hackmaster specific as well. Um, but it's really cool. So hopefully, um, once this is actually out, we'll be able to uh, revisit Psionics a little bit, maybe even have them on the show because it is a ton of work. And this thing, it looks like it came. It looks like TSR put this thing out in the seventies. Yeah, it's beautiful. Oh, cool. It's like it's like yeah. it looks like a Psionics handbook almost, but better looking. 
Well, yeah, because they used the uh, they used all the typefaces and all of nice. the uh, spacing and everything to make it you know look old school and original. So yeah. good century gothic font, my favorite. Uh, actually, no, there uh, it was um, Futura yeah, and. Sure. Uh, people don't want to hear about this again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when you first showed me that, Jason, I was like, "You're kidding me!" And you're like, "Yeah, they're working on it hard." Here's a little sneak preview of it. Take a look. I was I just like, "I want to see a copy. I want to see. I want to see. I want to see." Oh yeah, yeah. I'll let you take a look at it as long as we don't share it with anybody. No, no, no. I no, get no. it ourselves. I read it so. and I actually deleted it because I want to wait for the. I actually read the first couple bit of it. and I was like, "Wow, this is cool." I'm gonna delete this and wait for the full thing because I want to read the whole entire thing when it's completed. Yeah, yeah me we too. Just, we just. The only thing that's missing is, you know, Donald Sutherland or to do the uh, – wait, not, is it Donald Sutherland that did the artwork? Yeah, to do the uh, cover or something. Oh, I thought but, you were talking about Donald Sutherland like to do the forward or something. Uh, wait, wasn't that the name of the art? David Sutherland. Oh, okay, David. Okay. I'm thinking of the uh, the actor. All they need is David Sutherland to do a cover for them. But um, Or Errol Otis. Errol Otis. You know, okay, sidebar, only for a second. What I was just thinking is that um, – what's his name? The guy who does all of Iron Maiden's artwork, Derek Riggs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Derek Riggs is – he's got a website with contact info. He's for hire. If anybody's doing a game book that you're going to be publishing professionally or semi-professionally and you want an a artist that has an old-school feel but you've never seen him on a game book before – Derek Riggs, that's the guy to go to. Why don't I they agree. do that for the psionics? Yeah, he would do great art. Anyways, let's let's talk about the Mind <laughs> Flayer. That's why we're here. Last week, we had an encounter with a Mind Flayer, and uh, a few different things happened. One of the first things that happened was before you even came into the room, uh, Grimthar, I think, was Grimthar. Uh, dominated. Yeah, yes. and he got naked and ran in the water. Yeah, and jumped into the water and all those types of things. So, <laughs> so uh, the first thing to do is to go back and take a look chicks. at what you know the mind flayer actually can do. I mean, they are not an entirely um, un—they're not an entirely pure mind-based thing. They've got a body; they can do melee and all that type of thing. But they're going to go for uh, mind techniques first of all. They're not that strong. Um, yeah. But but uh, so some of the things that they can do, they've they've got a high psionic ability in the monster oh. manual. They their psionic ability is always between two hundred and forty and three hundred and forty. Yeah, which uh, is higher than by normal standards any PC could be. Three hundred and forty yeah. is off the charts for a player character. Although yeah. it was pointed out to me that there's some things that can raise that, so uh, we're going to be updating our psionics worksheet to indicate that. But that's another story. Um, and then they have um, this. Okay, so here's here's where there's a little bit of a disconnect. They have their attack and defense modes listed here, and their abilities. And one of the things it says is that the mind flayer's physical, oh, not the physical attack. Sorry, the mind flayer's um, mental attack. Uh, mental attack. I just want to find the one where it describes it in here. It describes it as uh, the the most feared attack mode is the mind blast, mind blast. Mm. of psionic power. Yeah. All right. So here the monster manual came out before the player's handbook. So right, right. There's no such thing as a mind blast in the psionic powers described. There's psionic blast. Yeah. <laughs> and there's mind thrust. <laughs> right. And even and confusing the issue even more is the fact that it says attack mode B in the monster manual which would be mind thrust right but that is not what is described 
Right. What's described in the Monster Manual is they, it says the uh, the mind blast of psionic power all within a six square directional cone of half square diameter. Mm-hmm. Uh, blah 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 blah, and it right. and it and it works on non psionics psionics. Well, that's the description of a psionic blast. Right. Right. Well, so, you know, like we originally said, it was designed for originally the original D and D, and then they updated it for advanced. That's why it came out beforehand. This is one of those things that kind of slipped through the cracks. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So when you're reading this, uh, the right way to read it is to look at the monster manual and read that as attack mode A, psionic blast. Psionic blast, blast. yeah. You it, go because later did they change it in later um, printings? Not that I'm aware of, no. Really? Because I have the fifth edition print from 1980. Okay. Yeah. And it reads just as you said it, uh, Jason. Okay, yeah, mine's the fourth edition print from 1979. So, uh, mine's also pretty close. Yeah, I got the the same thing you guys have. Maybe the orange spine is different. I don't know, but uh, I, as far as I know, they never changed it. Okay, which is weird. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, at any rate, so so their their attack psionic blast is their main mode of attack, and the reason is because that works on non psionic creatures, and that's the the pretty terrible you know one. Uh, yeah. Their defense modes F G and H, so mind blank, thought shield, mental barrier, and uh, then all the things that they can do, and this is where it gets even scarier because all of their psionic disciplines uh, get get pretty hardcore. So they've got levitation. Yeah. Levitation, domination, ESP, body equilibrium, astral projection, and probability travel, all at the seventh level of mastery. Level mastery, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, so, did you also let, them, let everybody know what their magic resistance is, which is scary in itself? <laughs> 90%. Wow. Yeah. 90%. <laughs> um, and so this is a, a, a pretty powerful creature. And, and the, the ultimate thing, I think, that really defines the Mind Flayer even more than their psionic ability or their brain eating, which I guess we should talk about in a moment, is their intelligence. As a race, they are of genius intelligence. Yeah. Now, that means that you're probably, the way I would play it is that that's just a racial average. So you're going to meet a few who are, you know, not very bright, so they're only exceptional. (laughs) And you're going to meet some who are going to be super genius. You're talking about a race of creatures who are on average are way more intelligent than than humans. Yeah, on average, there's 17 to 18 intelligence, yeah. which Copy- is it's really scary. Copyright violations, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, they do. They look. It looks like Cthulhu, you know? Yeah. Um, Don't tell people that. <laughs> Copyright violations. But, uh, well, you know what? The uh, Somebody put out a game the other recently that I saw that had a beholder in it, and they called it a gazer or something. So, yeah. you know, and I'm sure Wizards of the Coast will be coming after this guy if they hear about it. Well, anyway, only has two um, stocks as opposed to nine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the Mind Flayer is uh, – the, the thing that really defines them is – you know, the fact that this is an incredibly old race. They're so old that nobody yes. knows their origins. Nobody even knows what plane they originate from because they, they are planar travelers. They, yeah, they go even the Mind Flayers themselves forgot where they came from. Yes, they don't Ooh. even know. And uh, they view humans and other humanoid races the way that we view cattle. Yeah. You know, we are their 
they they don't view humans as something to fight with or to you know have enmity enmity towards or anything like that. It's just we they are don't even, food. Yeah, you know. So <laughs> the whole and so this gets to their physical attack, which is putting their tentacles on and drawing out the brain of their victim. Ooh, so yeah. if a if a if even one tentacle hits its victim it will begin to burrow in and in one to four melee rounds, which, you know, roll your 1d4, which means you might only have a single round to escape this attack, Yikes. it will simply reach in and draw forth the brain of its victim. Yeah. So it There's no save against that. So one. it burrows right through your skull and takes the brain. Just takes mm-hmm. it. Wow. Just takes it. I mean, this would make a t- an amazing horror film. Mm. Mind fl- Why is there no mind flare in a horror film? I don't know. Because uh, it's a copyright violation. Yeah, I don't know. Does... <laughs> oh, I, never mind. I'm, I was going to talk about Predator, but let's let it go. No, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so these mind flayers, they, they, they travel the planes. They are um, they, they, they treat humans like cattle. The, 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 the whole thing of eating the brain, it's sort of an a, a expression of dominance over their victims. Yeah. And... Uh, they're going, but the other thing is that they are physically weak, and they are going to flee if they're faced with the prospect of uh, defeat. And they can flee very easily thanks to probability travel. Yeah, and they Even also they can, have what is it? Uh, sunlight. They they can't go in sunlight, can they? Right. So you've been reading the ecology article. I th- yeah, and I have to tell you that ecology article, and that's from. Dragon number 78. 78. I mean, if My, you buy one dragon, buy 78. This Ecology of the Mind Flayer by Roger Moore. Mm-hmm. My favorite ecology of all of them. Of all the ones I've read, that is my favorite. Yeah, it's a great there's one. There's so many bits, you know, great nuggets of information in it. I just love it. I read it over and over. The only thing I, I, just, I, I love like, who's <laughs> telling the story. <laughs> oh, wait, let me go. Oh, because it's the it's the uh, Gith Yankee telling the story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So there we go. That's a good segue into the Mind Flayer's relationship to the races of the Gith. Okay. So you've got the Gith Yankee and the Githari, who at one time uh, they were humans, and they were humans that had been enslaved by the Mind Flayers, uh, and. The I might be getting this a little bit wrong about how it's split up, but essentially one group of humans um, escaped the Mind Flayers, and they went on to become the Githyanki. The Githyanki, and then the Githzerai um, later, later collaborated with the Ithalids, mm-hmm. and uh, they or had mind. like two different yeah, yeah they had two different le- leaders. Yeah, there was Gith, the original leader of the uh, humans who rebelled against the Mind Flayers, and then some other faction broke off, and then they became the Gith Zerai. The Gith Zerai being the ones that um, are now they they have an uneasy truce, the way it's described in their right, right. The monster manual, or no, right, I mean, yeah, the, the Fiend Folio, folio. yeah, yeah. Um, so the the. Uh, yeah, this this article it tells it from the story from the perspective of the uh, Githyanki, and the Githyanki are not going to be your best friends as a human either. But if you are facing, um, if you're facing a mind flare as 
I mean, it's a perfect thing to put an adventure around, which is, you know, that some mind flayers have made an entrance into your realm, you know, into the, the plane that you exist on. And they've decided to set up a farm, you know, to just yeah. go ahead and start farming you guys. Basically, the Githyanki are going to be your one and only hope as allies because they're the only uh, other monsters out there that might actually stand a chance of helping to be able to stand up against them. Yeah, exactly. Not in one-on-one, but they're, they've themselves have become powerful psionicists, and uh, they're the ones that in this ecology are giving away some of these secrets, like what you just said about the light. Yeah, yeah. Because mind – or if – help me pronounce it. Um, if – if what? Ithalid? Githzerai? Oh, oh. Ith, Ithalid. Ithalid, right? Ithalid, yeah. Ithalid. yeah. Okay, thank you. I like that term better, the Ithalid. Yeah. So um, – so the Ithalid are described as having these white uh, pupil, just pure white eyes, and you know, I guess a little bit like a cave fish or something. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so, as you yeah. say, you know, as you say, they aren't able to handle uh, light. So, player knowledge versus character knowledge here. But uh, if you if you have a character that has got some knowledge of the Ith. Mind flares, <laughs> mind flares. Then that player will know. All it takes is a continual light spell cast, you know, right on their nose, so to speak. And yeah. uh, you've now weakened them to the point they can't even concentrate to use their psionic powers. Right. So that's a good one. That's a good thing that's, to know. Yeah, that's if you get the drop on them first. Now you said that you really want to do. You said they run away when there's a chance they might be defeated. Yeah, oh, yeah, they're not going to stick around well, uh, to be taken down. That well, that one that we fought kind of stuck around pretty much. He stuck around a little too much. I mean, wh- if I remember right, I'd have to go back and listen. He didn't really get much of a chance to flee. No, yeah. But, True. We did blast but him if pretty he hard. Had a little, yeah. I blew his brains out. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, he had, um, if he had taken the opportunity to flee he probably would have used his probability travel which allows you to travel bodily to another plane um yeah. and just gotten the heck out of there yeah mm-hmm. he went nowhere. although i just wanted you to have a chance to do a little scanners action on him yeah oh that was fun and then we <laughs> and then we double tapped him that's right <laughs> the greatest uh, yeah, the brain tapped him the, the greatest term in the whole movie double tap <laughs> i love that movie anyway <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so, I mean, the Mind Flayer, they're usually thought of as the, the stereotypical penultimate. I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, not penultimate. But they're, they're looked at as the, the uh, epitome of the psionic monster, and for good reason. They're a great psionic um, monster. They're great. Oh, yeah. And, and really great to bring into a, to a campaign. And I would say that I can't this? imagine a Mind Flayer showing up in any adventure without being the central uh, hub no. around which the adventure would rotates. you guys allow players to make a monster character out of that no no absolutely not mm-hmm. i agree i don't allow players Too to powerful. make a character yeah well, there, make, there, there yeah. are some dms that allow that like you know yeah i remember i had a player in uh the great joe dm campaigns that played mm-hmm. a, a minotaur so mm. that was kind yeah. of interesting well you know with the mind flayers and you're talking about adventures uh one that leaps to mind is I think it's the Vault of the Drow or Descent of the Depths of the Earth. There are mind flayers in there. Because mm-hmm. the Drow and the Drow have some weird relationship with, with, with them. 
Really? Uh, yeah. I it, see. It, I, I this is the reason. All other things aside, why I would never allow a mind flare, even if you, even if as a DM I thought that monster PCs were okay, which I don't. But even if I did. <laughs> I can't imagine putting a mind flare in a group of humans because would you go and take a business meeting with a bunch of pigs and cows? Oh, hell no. Well, I'm talking about drow, though. I mean... Are drow so intelligent that they would be considered as uh, worth talking to by a ithalid? Did I say it right? Yes. Um, Anyway, so... I don't know. I I don't think the drow would have a pro- you know how evil creatures get along so mm-hmm. yeah Gygax wrote it into the adventures like that that there was like they like they were like they traded stuff with them like some sort of ex- tradings it, right well I have to dig this up a little bit but um it'd be okay well I guess I would like to hear from people what they actually do with uh mind flare and you know, if any, we should definitely do a playing the monster as a p- player character at some point in the future. Talk about that, even though I think it's a terrible idea. It's not worth. It's, it doesn't mean we shouldn't. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an, I'm just, it's I'm an just remembering that in that that whole series, the the GDQ series, a giant's drow, in the Demon Web series, I do re- recall that there are a, 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 at least a few mind flayers in there and they're working in conjunction with the drow or they, they have some sort of working relationship with them. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm looking at their description there of, uh, what's the kind of intelligence, highly intelligent, which doesn't come anywhere near a mind flayer. Um, and I suppose if I wanted to dig through this whole thing, I could find out, but, um, I, you know, sure. If Gary Gygax put it into a module, fine. That makes sense. But, I, I can't imagine a mind mind flayers. I just see as these supremely arrogant alien race that yeah. uh, once they make it into your world, you're in trouble. Yeah. All right. Now one now one creature though, <clears throat> I would think that maybe mind flayers might look at reluctantly as if not equals. But rivals would be beholders. Yeah, they could make good rivals. Um, you know, and so th- there's a lot of things we could go into in terms of uh, what makes sense when you're putting an adventure together, which monsters are going to actually be willing to talk to each other. And uh, not to keep on pushing our forums, but I think this is not a bad idea. I would like to see somebody uh, getting into some of these discussions yeah. because it's I a, know it's a in that. Good- that- ecology article there were a couple of um creatures that uh are brought up that might be you know work with the mind flayers because they talk about their cities uh-huh yeah they definitely get into the cities and all those kind of things so you know when you're creating an adventure you want to look for the ways that you can put these monsters together why are they there same thing we were saying before about dungeon creation, that you don't just roll things up and put them next to each other. You've got to have some understanding of how they're actually relating to each other. So if anybody has, if any of our listeners you know, want to kind of talk about what they see as the monsters that make the most sense to uh, have working in conjunction with a mind flayer, uh, we'd love to hear about that. Put it on the forums, write to us, let us know. And uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up the creature feature for this week and uh, wait and see what everybody thinks of it. 
rfipodcast.com, rfistaff at gmail.com. Close your eyes and tell me what you see. The library. So we're bringing back the library this week, guys. All right. Oh, good. I, I like, like the, the library. library. Yeah, library's <laughs> nice little travel up there. You know what we're doing this week? What mm. have we got? We Let's act- look on the shelves. All right. I'm pulling down a comic book. Hey. Remember these now that's things? literature. That definitely <laughs> is literature. That's literature. Nice, Nick. <laughs> well, in, in the uh, late 80s, 88, in fact, they actually came out with an Advanced Dungeons & Dragons comic book, which yep. I happened to collect. And, Nick, you had an interesting story. You had told me before the podcast about that, how you said you had gotten the first book, or was I mistaken about yeah, that? Yeah, you know, I I remember when you, you told me about it, I'm like, oh, my God, I totally forgot about the comic, you know? And I thought they renamed it later on. I, I remember collecting a few copies, and I thought it was... Just really cool that I saw something in comic book form, but uh, I, I guess I was wrong that they renamed it. They still kept the name, but there was like a few others too, right? Yeah, they went all the way to uh, issue 36 for comic books, and then I think it stopped, and then they went to, uh, they broke it down into Forgotten Realms. Maybe it was renamed to Forgotten Realms. I'm looking here. I don't happen to have the Forgotten Realms ones on me, but... Looks like we got a little note from our producer here. We got Forgotten Realms, Dragonlance, and Spelljammer. Yes, yes. I had the I have them all, the Forgotten Realms, Dragonlance, and the Spelljammer. There were some great comics they did. But the one thing I wanted to point out about this comic, which is the, the most important thing that relates to our podcast, is after every little adventure in the comic books, if you flip to the very, very back, which yep. you guys can do easily with the PDF I gave you... Um, Excuse me. It gives you stats for all the things that happens inside the thing, inside the yeah, comic mm-hmm. book. So there was a magic weapon in this that was called the Staff of Withering. Right mm-hmm. in the back, boom, there is the Staff of Withering, what it does and how it relates to the game itself. So you can import it right into your game. Yeah. That's pretty neat. And I see Thacko. I know. Yeah, yeah. Disbelief, disbelief, disbelief. <laughs> disbelief. Oh, sorry, it disappeared. Right, and it also <laughs> gives you stats for uh, the main character. Mm-hmm. Yep. So and if I I remember through the later issues they gave stats for each major character there. Yes. And they also gave stats for the creatures that they uh had made up for the uh for each comic too, not for this one, but the later ones they also gave like if it was yeah. a certain creature in the back boom there was the creature. Wow. My char- my players didn't read this comic. I can bring this creature in next week and be something new for them. Oh sure. my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, this comic um pretty much we all took, we all had to take a chance to read this, but it follows. Yeah, no, I, I read through it. It follows yeah. the path of a bunch of adventurers. It first starts doing you some back history of a paladin and his father, who were uh, praying in I guess it was a temple or his tower, and then he gets attacked by a draconian, which I I call draconian. I don't know if that's the proper name for the race. I don't know what it is. It looks <laughs> yeah, like this. It, they didn't put in the back of here. Yeah, it looks oh. like a draconian because if you read the other comics later on, they kind of reference it as him being some type of dragon race. Yeah. So I'm going to say Draconian. And then he uses the Staff of Withering on him after he kills the guy's father, this paladin, and he becomes worthless. He yep. can't lift up a sword. He becomes weak and withering away. Hence the withering. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 
So then he goes off on his own and just becomes a pretty, uh, a complete bum. And then the story kind of jumps to uh, the Draconian and he's talking about his master plan, what he wants to do, and who he's hiring. And there's like this snake yeah. guy shows up. and Oh, the Yuintai, yeah. Yeah, thank you. He shows <laughs> up and he starts telling his plans about that. And then we jump again to uh, this elven may, uh, wizard. She's Somehow the magic weave, and this is based in Forgotten Realms. If we didn't, I didn't mention that. I apologize. Uh-huh. And how her, she's learning magic, and then I guess she's abusing the magical power because her hand starts changing into a crystal form, and they have to figure it out. So they go on adventure, and then they get attacked by these like bug-eyed, ugly sea hag creatures that come flying in. Do you have oh any? yeah, the the yeah those those are. Those Chasmy, those are demons. Those are on Monster Manual too. Okay. Yep. And then they attack, and then they grab the girl from, uh, and one of the people, and they fly out. And then there's this other adventuring party with the half man, half horse. I can't think. Uh, cent- what are the hell they call the race? Um, centaurs. Centaurs, along with the dwarf that happened to be just walking by, <laughs> that yeah. saved them. Then they all get together, and then they tell the story about this paladin who they need to go find because he's the one that could rid the evil of the land. They go into this town. I know I'm summing it up really badly, but this is really the gist of the whole story, honestly. There's a story? Jason. (laughs) Don't insult the authors. (laughs) Let me put it this way. The authors didn't put their names on this. Yes, they did. They put their names. Really? Because if you look on the front, it says unknown comics. And if you look at the back, rather than listing an author, you've got things like the marketing director the controller, the editorial right administrator, but nobody's taking, nobody's right. gonna like take the fall for having written this thing. It's right here where it says the gathering on the third page. Does it? Hold on. Where? Where's this? Where's it's, it the, it's the double page panel. Oh, did I miss that part? Yeah. Somebody actually. I bet it's a fake name. No, it's not. It's <laughs> Michael, Michael Fleischer and Jan Dursma. Yeah, writers, co-plotters, and artists. The editor was Barbara Kiesel. There's probably people that work for DC at the time. Well, every yeah. one of these people owes me an apology. <laughs> this, is the, this is the worst. This is like the worst thing I've ever read. You really think it's bad? I really think it's bad. And I, I mean, I'm not kidding around here. This has got, I mean, who writes mayhaps? Somebody, <laughs> honestly, the whole thing to me reads like a committee sat down, got together with the market research firm and the, and the, the uh, VP of marketing and circulation and said, here's the thing. We need to sell more games, and I need to make sure you put this, 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 and this in here, and this is how it's going to work, and make sure that doesn't offend anything or anybody under 12. I mean, it's just terrible. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't look like Gary had uh, any... <laughs> any input on this comic book at all. So. Oh, well, he was gone three years before this came out. This came out in 88, which was the last year uh, that there was still first edition. And uh, Gary was pushed out by 85. So this is definitely, you know, I, I don't think he would have ever gone for this. Yeah, this was on the, the this was the twilight of, the, uh, yeah, the I mean, first edition, and we're going into second edition in just a, a year. Yeah, so, they're drawn. I mean, they're drawn literally. I mean, basically, somebody just said, "Draw superheroes, but stick some swords in their hands." Yeah. 
so just to finish up the story real quick, so sorry. <laughs> in case the people out there really care, I mean, someone may want to go grab this because it does, it does give you a little bit of ideas, and it, at least it has the cool stuff in the back that you can use for your. I like that. Yeah. No, I like that. So they travel to this town. They actually find this beggar, and they give him some money and whatever. And then they go into this tavern where this uber powerful woman shows up with some bracelet we have no clue what it's about but supposedly she's some yeah like she's a gladiator some massive gladiator they have no back history on that so what the hell uh and then then they go in this back room and they all meet each other like you know they're just gonna let this typical we all meet at an inn yeah pretty much (laughs) typical meet the inn no questions asked then they decide well we need to go do something and then all of a sudden they hear some ruckus outside your typical what happens in a game. Yes. And they go outside, and that bum that they gave the money to is getting the crap beat out of him. So they beat the crap out of those guys, and they find out it's a paladin they've been looking for the whole time, and that's where the story ends. I see. <laughs> really, that's the story. <laughs> wow. Oh, it's just the, the writing yeah, some is of the Yeah, the dialogue is... Weird. Yeah. Well, it's like... Like, those, oh, hooli- those young hooligans are beating the life out of that Instead poor of beggar. So- oh, yes. it will be a singular treat tearing into those sewer rats. Arg! Ha ha ha! It's like when the 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 monster thing where he's he says, "Far better to beg a quick death from me and be grateful for it." And he says, "The spells flesh for st- flesh the stone." Yeah, he says, "Flesh the stone," and then he says, "Rock to mud." <laughs> that's yeah. where I got like you know the marketing director was in here because he said make sure that you use the names of the spells. <laughs> yes, it's like although, like rock paper scissors. <laughs> although I have to say that's not a bad idea. Flesh of stone, rock to mud is a pretty good combination of spells. Oh, don't get me wrong, I like the idea. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, next time, Jason, you're going to review issue number two. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know. I think what I'll do next time is I'll just do a dramatic reading. Of issue number oh, I, I just I, I love I don't know who the big bad guy here is, the one that's drawn like a cross between Grover from Sesame Street and <laughs> some sort of a Viking work. Yeah. Um with you know the Hulk's legs. The but, draconian, yeah. Is that what he is? I think but, he's uh, a draconian, yeah. <laughs> I just love the part where um I don't know, page sixteen, yeah. He he he's thinking his uh his grand plan so that you know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> His little George Bush laugh there. <laughs> Waterdeep is but a trifle, Captain. I harbor designs against the entire world. That's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, no, you know what? Saturday morning cartoon level, it's actually pretty spot on for that. Yeah. Well, I remember Saturday morning cartoons, and that was cool. But uh, no, I would say if you're getting this comic, get it for a couple of get it for one of three reasons. Get it because. You're a collector and you like to have cool stuff because it's cool for that because you want some kind of neat ideas because, like you say, the characters are written in the back. Uh, they've got, you know, so, some of that stuff's okay. Or, you know, you want it for the kitsch value. And yeah. you're not going to go broke picking these things up because I, I actually took a peek before the show and they're, they're maybe going for like a dollar a piece, so. Oh well, then they—that's one of the rare cases of a comic selling for less than its cover price because yeah. it's well, only a dollar like twenty-five. The, the stone, the flesh, rock, the mud combo. Yeah, that, that I like that. That's, that's pretty good. <laughs> well, now, 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 our producer is telling us here that Jan Dursema is known for her work on the Star Wars comics. Is that the current Star Wars? I'm, I'm wondering, or maybe it was the one that was made by uh, Dark Horse. 
Well, we should look that up because, you know, there's all this is the thing is that there's not a writer out there that hasn't gone and done something just to get paid at one point or another in their life. So it's totally possible that Jan Durusema, there's two U's, so I don't know how to pronounce this, that Jan Durusema could be a great writer who just took the paycheck and walked. She did the Marvel Star Wars comics, which were A-plus comic books back then. They were good? Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, I was, Star Wars, yeah. Yeah. So it's totally possible. But yes. Matt is also telling us that the, the writer, uh, Fleischer? Mm-hmm. Har- Harlan uh, Ellison, yeah, in yeah. 79 interview, described Fleischer. Well, there's one I will well, not can't say. They can't say that one, but... <laughs> but crazy, know, but, certifiable, twisted, derangeo, and lunatic. Like derangeo. <laughs> But, you know, but here's the thing. I think if you if I'm calling a writer crazy, certifiable, twisted, derangeo, lunatic, and bug, blah, 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 then yeah. those sound like compliments. Yeah. Well, I don't. Those don't sound like bad things. And so, so it gets uh-huh. even. It gets even. The story gets even worse in issue number two because I, I just took a peek at issue number two after reading this again for the show, and basically they set out and this paladin guy uh, who they figure out is the great paladin, the savior of the world. He's pretty much riding along, going, "I don't care, I don't care, I don't want to help." And then there's a couple. Oh, he's an emo. Yeah, <laughs> he's pretty much depressed, and and then there's a couple times they're like, "Come help us!" in the middle of a fight, and he just kind of lays there like. Eh. And he doesn't really do anything. And then he goes to pick up the sword, and he can't do anything. And he throws the sword away, and he's like, I am not the man I used to be. And he just walks off. <laughs> well, okay, maybe they're trying to do some character development and get him to whatever. But honestly, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll rate this uh, comic book for anybody out there out of ten. Jason. Um, okay, so is this like armor class where a negative is better? No, because uh, one, yeah. one to ten no. scale, ten being the best, one being the worst. Yeah, zero one one to ten. I would say this is some sort of uh, mineral. I don't even think it gets a number. Yeah, but don't forget the valuable uh, story plot. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I I would say that it it, it hurt my eyes. <laughs> the artwork even hurt your eyes too. Everything hurt my eyes. Well, don't forget it's '80s style artwork. I no, there's no such thing as decade specific anything. There's good and there's bad. I can show you something from 1960, 1980, 2010. Yeah. You won't know what year it is. You'll just know if it's good or bad. This is bad. I don't know if it was bad, but 1988. You know what was going on in 1988? Yes. Neil Gaiman was doing Indian. the Sandman with uh who's who's the artist the dave mckeon yes i mean yeah. some of the best stuff the comics have ever seen yeah, I, yeah actually yeah some of the best stuff for the x-men series was going yeah. on in that time too and that was Grant wasn't morrison that... was doing his thing i mean 1988 was a golden age for comics and wasn't that when the batman movie came out with michael keaton was it 89? 89 oh 89, 89. okay okay so there's no excuses. I know in 88 was the uh, Dark Knight comic was out, so that was one of the mm-hmm. best uh, Batman comics they had. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Alan Moore, right? Yes. I believe so. So, Nick, what are you rating out of 1 to 10? 1 to 10, and don't give me a mineral. No. <laughs> I would say... Oh, Frank Miller did the Dark Knight. Sorry about that. Well, again, Frank Miller, another genius. And yeah, another yeah. one. Um, I would give it... There's the the redeeming value I see out of this is the stuff at the end, the stats for characters and new 
monsters and yeah. maybe new magic items. So for utility wise, uh, two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm actually going to give it a four because it does get better as you go along. And the artwork, I think, changes along the way as the artist actually finds themselves. And um, it's kind of interesting. I don't know. Maybe I'll go with a three. <laughs> if you pick, if anything else, just pick it up for just to read it, like Jason said, to have it because it's something cool from the past, and to have the stats and information about new monsters. Yeah. And they did have a cool address. At least they, 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 the DC comic for this comic book was on six 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 Fifth Avenue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> Which is that? Did they still at that address? No, they're, they're they've moved. Six 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 Fifth Avenue. I think I used to work right near there. Actually, that think, explains yeah. a lot. DC, uh, <laughs> yeah, DC. That's actually moved. a pretty well known address. Let me see where the heck that is. There's a lot of publishing firms on that. Is that the deal? Yeah. Oh, yeah. you know what? I think that's where the Unicro store is now. Yeah, okay. DC's long moved from that office. They actually half them are based out of Los Angeles now. So. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I know. I know right where this is. This is a. I, I go by this building all the time. Oh, the building's so. a six 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 building. That'd be kind of cool to walk past it just to see it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're going to wrap this up, and next week, uh, maybe we'll, maybe I'll give you guys a spell jammer one to even hit you worse. Oh, oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, that's not this edition. That should not. That's another edition, so you can't use it. <laughs> you know what? I, here, here's right. another one for listeners. Um, we haven't had any listener requests for things in the library yet, and if we have, Actually, this I apologize was, for not remembering. This was a request. Okay, well. Who, who was I that? I don't remember. Who was that? <laughs> it was ba- way back from issue like four or something. Send them a oh. virus in their email. How dare they? <laughs> Nick. You know no, what, Nick? No, it's fun. Your punishment but, um, is a read I'd like issue some requests. So, so if anybody's got a favorite book or, or, or film or comic or anything else they'd like us to check out, it doesn't have to be specifically in the first edition universe, just no. something that um, listeners would want to know about. Yeah. Yeah. Ask us because we like to have our horizons expanded. We're still waiting on that die, dying Earth review you were going to give. Yeah, Jason. Yeah, yeah. I know you are. I think Jason's still waiting for the review himself. So <laughs> I, have, I certainly haven't written. Honestly, that's one of those things where I don't think that I'm qualified to review. Did you? Did you know that, that was level. there was a Jack fans uh, dying Earth RPG? Yeah, I've seen that. I should actually give it a try. I you bet should? it's pretty Yeah, it's fun. called Dungeons & Dragons. No, it's not. <laughs> There's an actual RPG for it. No, there I, really is. There really um, is, Nick. Yeah, there really is. I'd like to check that out. I just saw it on Amazon like maybe a year ago. I remember reading about it. Oh, oh. if it's a good price, pick it up. Nah, I don't know. Anyway, that'll wrap up the library this week as we uh, travel back down the stairs of the tower, back into the main control room. Oh, never mind. I like that until you had a control room. I like that. You need a control room. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to go into our, guess what, audio drama this week, guys. We have an audio drama? Yeah. Well, really? We have a new audio drama. Um, hope everybody's going to like it. It's called The Lumpers. I think it'll be very cool. So everybody take a listen. It's tough out there. 
Orcs. Goblins. Dragons. Bad and mad mages. Things that each just give you the time of day. People that shake your hand while looking for a place for a dagger. Yeah, it's tough. So they're tougher. They're the lumpers. Ready? Sure, sweetie. Go ahead. Okay, the case of spare parts. Puddleton's always nice this time of year. It was the beginning of the hot season, but not so hot as to be obnoxious. The breeze off the sea helps. Keeps the nights from sweltering, too. It was early evening. I just ate downstairs after a bit of effort. The small skinny guy in a dark hooded cloak kept pestering me to come over to the corner booth to show me something. One call to Mars the barkeep and he was out in his ear. Adventuring stops at mealtime. Afterwards, I walked upstairs and sat at the desk doing my cleaning. The sun was hanging low and I just put down Lucille and started in on my daggers when the talk stone on the desk glowed. I tapped it. Yes, Sil, I said, shining the dagger. There's someone here to see you. Dwarf. Says it's important. <sighs> Always is. Said to Ben. Sil flew in, followed by a short figure dressed in leathers and wearing a small cloak. I was a bit dumbstruck. Up until now, I thought female dwarves didn't exist. For all I knew, they hatched out of the rocks. The dwarf approached the desk with a grave look on her face. Here you go, sweetie. This is Mr. Lumper. He'll treat you right. Syl then flew over to me, looked me in the eyes, gave me that behave-yourself look, and fluttered to the door before turning to me. I'll be going for the evening, then. Good night. Night. Be careful. She giggled. <laughs> oh, please. I pulled up a chair in front of her. Please sit down, Miss... Moria. She said in a soft voice. She had a surprisingly voluptuous figure, something I didn't know dwarves had, with an open face, turned-up nose, and full lips, topped by long, fiery red hair done up in braids, plus not a hint of beard. It was the eyes that got me, blue the color of the inner sea. Someone could get lost in those eyes. Some probably had. Mr. Lumber. Call me Lojack, I said in my most comforting tone. Just a minute. I tapped the talk stone twice. Byron, Dickus, come in here. We have company. The door to my right opened and Byron came in, removing his leather apron. He was impeccably dressed as usual, even for spell research. He rolled his sleeves down and came over to the desk, smiling all the way. How do you do, madam? He spoke with a hint of suaveness in his voice. Byron Craddock, late of the Elven Court, at your service. Very late, I muttered. He ignored me, walked over, took her hand and kissed it. I was temporarily blinded as my eyes were rolling back in my head. Now, what can I do for you? Well, it's... Uh... She started to stutter when the door on my left opened and a plume of smoke came out, followed by our resident dwarf and mechanical genius, Dinkus McFudd, who was wiping the soot off his face with a claw. Ah, I'll be a good one. Byron, need your help later. Got a wee problem in that gyro and I think some magical... He looked up and stopped short. Moria, he blurted. Maria Dundle! He ran over and gave her a big hug, something that would break a strong man's ribs. She returned the favor. Lassie, so good to see you. I haven't seen you in years. What you doing here? How's your father and brothers? She gave Dinkus another hug and then started crying in his arms. He gently let her down into a chair. It's about my brother Angus that I'm here. He hired out on a merchant caravan heading up north from here, and I didn't come back. No one knows where he is. I asked at the merchant house, warehouse, and the constable. No one even remembers him. 
she broke down again. I pulled out a small bottle and cup, poured out a bit, and gave it to her. She drank, coughed, and relaxed. I could see Dinkus starting to redden up in the face, so both Byron and I came over and kneeled on either side. Milady, Byron spoke in a soothing tone. Please, tell us everything you know about this enterprise your brother was on. Well, she stuttered. Angus heard about this caravan and insisted that father let him go. He's the baby, and seeing his brothers go off to fame and adventure made him determined to do the same. Father refused, saying he was too young and that he wanted him to learn the family trade. We've lost two others, and father didn't want it to be three. Next thing we know, Angus packed some things and left in the night, leaving a note saying he'd joined a merchant that had passed through town. Father was furious and went out to find where he went. That's been a fortnight ago and we haven't heard from Angus or father. She started sobbing again. I gave her a cloth. But lass, Dinkus said, fighting back rage, how'd you end up here? I found the merchant he went with, and Angus told him that he was heading to Buddleton for a job. I, re I remembered you were around here, and I'd come to see if you could help. <laughs> she hung her head. Byron and I got up, looked at each other, and grabbed Dinkus. He shook us off, in other words, after we picked ourselves up off the floor, I walked over to Moria. Could you excuse us for a minute? I said, looking hard at Dinkus. We need to talk. She shook her head yes, and we led Dinkus into the other room. Okay, I said to a hot McThun. First off, calm down just enough to answer a few questions. How do you know her? Dinkus spoke haltingly. Her father, Umla Durndal, was my closest friend. She's my goddaughter, and I will break open this world to find out who did this to him and his son. Okay, okay, I got that. What's the boy like? I hadn't seen him for quite a while, but the boy's pretty much the runt. Always wanting to do great things like his dad, that sort of thing. I remember Umlet telling me that he'd make a good blacksmith. He's got the building strength, but he wants him to stay home. If he was my boy, we'd be eating Eddins for lunch. Okay, now just calm down. I told Byron to open the door we walked in. Maury was still in the chair sniffling. Miss Dundell, we'll be happy to help in any way possible. I'll have my assistant draw up a contract. But I don't have... She stammered. It's okay, I said, patting her hand. Just for our records. We wouldn't dream of charging a single copper to such a fine lady and devoted daughter. Now it was Dinkus's turn to roll his eyes. Then Dinkus stood up, all four feet, and looked up at her eyes. Lass, whatever they are, I swear we'll find them. Yeah, my word is a member of Clan McThud. Another hug from her. I actually heard the wind get knocked out of Dinkus. Thank you, Dinkus. Thank you all. Oh, and by the way, Byron said, do you have that note that Angus left? It could be helpful. Of course. She opened a pouch and pulled out a small parchment. She handed it to Byron and, with a brave smile, left. I watched her go. Wow, I didn't think dwarves could wiggle like that. Byron was looking at the paper. Hmm. Average grade fool's cap, cheap ink, good handwriting for a dwarf. Byron glanced over to Dinkus, who didn't react. Giving him an odd look, he continued. According to this note, he was leaving to find his destiny, a typical young one. And if a Puddleton to take that job, I saw posted outside the inn, don't try to stop me, etc., etc., etc. I can do a few tests on these and see what comes up. 
Uh, yeah, you do that. Right now I was looking at Dinkus, who was sitting at the desk, clutching his hammer in an unhealthy manner. Unhealthy for any other being, that is. I walked over. Dink was all I got out before his arm slammed into my chest, knocking me back into the wall. He was still sitting. I didn't think I could talk right now, was all he said. I did not want to be the orc or giant in his head at the moment. Uh, Byron, run those tests, and in the morning I'm going to check up at the local merchant houses and see if anyone has seen either of them. She's already done that, Byron shot back. I know. They talked to beauty. Now it's time to talk to the beast, I said as I put Lucille and my daggers to bed. Also, go down to the Mages Guild and see if you can find any road wizards who work that caravan. Of course. Pleasant dreams, lover boy, Byron poked. Lover boy? <laughs> yes, ever since you walked in, you've had this rather stunned look on your face. It was quite obvious that you were infatuated with her. Oh, please, it's a job. A non-paying one. Strange, I never thought you'd be attracted to the likes of short-bearded females. Bearded? What beard? The one she obviously shaved off, Byron uttered as he donned his leather apron. What? Stubble, my boy. It was quite obvious. I grunted a good night to the wise guy elf, and he returned to his lab, humming some old body elven tune. I headed down the hall to my room and left Dinkus where he was. I was sure he'd get tired eventually and head to bed. As I settled in, I had some pleasant thoughts about our new client. Now I know why dwarves keep their women under wraps. But that's later. Right now our clan is minus two members, and I'm hoping it won't be more. Music heard in this episode was by Incompetech.com. Voices heard in this episode were Glenn Hallstrom and Julie Hoverson. Tune in next time for another episode of The Lumpers. Okay. Wow, that yeah. was that was pretty cool. I like the uh, the style, the execution of it. It's kind of like I that. like it. You know, what it reminds me of. What? And I know it's it's like um, what's the term I'm looking for? It's very. Uh, it's like a detective series from like the radio. Yeah, it's, noir, a noir. Yeah, it's yeah. like yes. it's like it's like AD and D meets uh, noir film. Yeah, which it, you, know? you know, which it should more often. Yes. <laughs> You know, I've always want, I've always wanted to just take an AD&D campaign and run it in a completely different setting because there's nothing that says it has to be medieval. Yeah, it's like a Michael Hammer kind of thing or uh or Jan Hammer. Well, or, like, you know, yeah, Humphrey Bogart films, you know. When he when I, he first Sam Spade. <laughs> Sam Spade, there we were looking for. Oh yeah, that's Sam right. Spade. Yes. Good one. Yeah. Matt. Good one. Uh, Glenn Halstrom is the uh, producer and writer and voicing. Actually, he did all the voices himself, and except for uh, uh, Julie Howerson had her hand in some of the voices as well. I remember her from one of the previous episodes we did. You might have recognized her voice in some of the uh, scenes. Mm-hmm. So uh, he put it together. And I we were just you know looking for something new, and he came up with this, and I was just like really surprised of how well it was it. put together, and it was something different. And it's and funny, we'll and more. it's great. Yeah, I love it. the first of many to come. Yeah, he, uh, I, I signed him. Well, I shouldn't say signed him. I, uh, I signed him to a 12-picture deal. He's got options on the back end. No, no, really. What, what Let's you did, do lunch. What we did. What's our percentage? <laughs> two. Uh, we, <laughs> him and I sat down one evening, and we spoke, and uh, we decided to do a five-story arc. So great. it's only five, just, just to see how it 
goes well with the audience. Yeah. So I mean, he doesn't. So basically, if it doesn't do well, which I don't think it will do, perfectly fine. I, mean, I like it. Yeah, I do too. We want to hear what you think about it. So uh, write us staff at gmail.com. All right, and I uh, guess this will... Uh, that's going to wrap the show, but I think Jason yeah. has a couple things he wants to say before we go. Okay, yeah, so um, <laughs> I'll talk about Low Tech Con in just a second. No, but... talk about it now. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, I'll, I'll, start, I'll start with Low Tech Con. Okay, so Is it Low-Tech now, Con, now? <laughs> So low tech con update. Uh, still selecting an exact date and place. Um, I'm leaning towards November to do something that coincides with the New England Web Comics Weekend 2011. Mm. Um, yeah. I would encourage anybody who's listening who's a fan of web comics to look for the New England Web Comics Weekend because this year's is coming up pretty soon it's coming up in november so maybe check it out maybe actually go let us know if you're going because a few of us are going up from new york and i'd love to meet up with some listeners if you're going to the new england web comics weekend yeah. and maybe even you know see if you think it's a good place for us to do low tech con yeah. uh, i've been looking around at some of the uh, stuff we're going to be bringing up to the convention you know starting to build up some of the video game and computer game things. We're going to be looking for suggestions on games to play, and I'll be opening up the forums at lowtechcon.com in about a week and a half so we can actually get started uh, with all of those plans. Sweet. Sweet. Um, But more immediately... Coming a soda. (laughs) Yes. But more immediately, uh, coming up in rather than a year, coming up in about a week and a half on October 9th, uh, it's going to be my birthday. Happy birthday, Happy birthday to, to Jason. Too early. Oh, Too early. Uh, so it's going to be on a Saturday this year, which is convenient. And I decided since I've got a couple of different gaming groups here in the city and some of these guys have never met each other, I wanted to get them all together. And I figured if anybody else wants to come down, we're just going to spend the whole day gaming for my birthday and it's just going to be little. We're going to call it Jason Con, <laughs> 2010. If we, I figure, if you got 20 people in a room playing at least three games, it's a convention, darn it. So, so uh, that's the criteria. I'll remember that. <laughs> I've just decided that off the top of my head. Uh, cool. We're trying to pick a location. Um, it's either going to be. Uh, we're, we're looking at a couple of the hotels that are right next to my house to just grab a meeting room, or more likely, we're probably going to pick uh the back room of a bar in the east village there's a couple that we're talking to and just spend the whole day saturday from like noon to six just gaming so if anybody's in new york city or you happen to be coming into town that weekend drop us a line because we're just going to be gaming all weekend or all day what um my next game weekend or my my next game night is then Mm -hmm. i will um nice i'll skype you during the game and we usually start around five, six o'clock. I don't know if you're going to go any later, but we'll I'll Skype you and we'll have like a remote Jason nice. con over here in Ohio. Nice. So. Yeah, we're gonna we're probably gonna wrap up around six, maybe a little later, because I mean we need to have uh, you know some time for the civilians to come in the evening and actually like go to the bar. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So the, is there going to be music and people are like announcing and welcome to Jason Con 2010. If I can find my Castle Greyhawk, I mean my Castle Grayskull, <laughs> like if I can find my Castle Grayskull microphone, maybe that'd be I'll talk awesome. That. If you had that still, 
<laughs> I used to I, my old that. roommate back in Iowa was in a band called a punk band called Iowa Beef Experience, and he sang through one on stage. What Iowa Beef Experience? What a name! No, he, Look him up. Love... Good band. But he sang cool. through a Castle Grayskull. Yeah, he sang through a Castle Grayskull microphone. What? You know, like he actually would bring the Castle Grayskull Mountain. Because remember, there was the, the Castle yeah, Grayskull yeah. Mountain and the little microphone you could make yeah. the Skeletor voice with? Hi, I'm Skeletor. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so that, that he is... would just. <laughs> yeah, so he brought it on stage. It is so That's Tom Waits. <laughs> That's awesome. It's like so Tom Waits would do. Oh, yeah. And the only thing else I could think of is that in October, probably a week after your birthday, I'll be going to uh, King Richard's Fair up in uh, Carver, Mass. Oh, huzzah. Yeah, so if anyone's up going What's up that the, way. Uh, fair? King Richard's Fair. Oh, cool. It uh, happens every one every year uh, around end of September into the middle of October. Wow. It's a big festival, and uh, it's really cool because there's, like, events there, and uh, there's jousting, and there's, um, like, they have a live chess game with people. Mm-hmm. Like, people act as the chess pieces. It's really cool. And there's, like, things you can buy, and there's, like, the king walking around that you can not bow to if you don't want to. And, Does the uh, knight jump the queen? Um, uh, that was really bad, Nick. And on that note, we're going to end the show. <laughs> oh, no. Repeat. Actually, on that, I want to ask That's for the, all the cleric comments. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Actually, on that note, I want to ask you guys and anybody who's listening, go back and look at Dragons number 83, 86, and 89. Why? That, for some reason... <laughs> They all have, they're all by the same artist, and they all have chess-themed covers. Yeah, it's a chess motif, and it's really cool. I want to know what was going on. Somebody let me know. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Fine. Keep it original, keep it old school, and what's the rest of the phrase, Nick? (laughs) Night jumps queen? No. (laughs) Good night, everybody. (laughs) Nice. Go for initiative.